So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, we thank you for the testimony we've had in song. We thank you for victory in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the choir's words. You are all to us. We thank you for salvation and the chance we have to be in this place together today. We pray that you might help us in our own lives. We bring today all of our thoughts, our burdens, our worries, our concerns, our joys, our victories, our happiness. Bring it all here. We seek to bring all of our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We pray for our brothers and sisters who cannot join us uh, today in person, who join us online. We pray that you'd bless them where they are. We know there are many of them, and we pray that you'd be with them today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what it really means to have blessed assurance. Spirit Spirit assurance that we are saved and that we know you as Lord and Savior. We ask that today you would open the Word of God to our minds and our eyes that we would not have distraction today. And that the Holy Spirit of God would teach us the truths that we need to know. Confirm in our heart today, Lord, if we are saved and grow us in our assurance if we are saved. But if we are not, show us today the danger, the danger of false assurance and self-assurance so that we might turn from our sins and be saved. We thank you, Lord, for the time we've had together in worship this sweet time together. And we pray now that you would bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, good morning. Find your place in your Bible. Psalm number 10. Psalm number 10 is where we are these days. I'm speaking to the church about this very important truth of blessed assurance. Last week, we looked at that wonderful, wonderful testimony of blessed assurance uh, that we can have if we're a Christian in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. What did John say? Look, this is the, I'm, I'm going to quote, what is the testimony of every believer in Jesus Christ? We have come to know, 1 John 4, 16, we have come to know and have believed the love of God which he has for us. That is, that is the glory of having blessed assurance. Whatever you're going through, whatever your trouble, whatever your difficulty, I've come to know that God loves me in it. I've come to know in my sinfulness, God loves me in it. I've come to know that in whatever my troubles are in my family, God is with me and he loves me. Oh, the love of God. We talked about the glorious love of God. And what did Brother Gary have us sing today? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. I hope that you know today in your personal life, the glorious experience of living in the love of God. You can, if you're here today, you can know the love of God for you, you can be saved from your sin, and you can walk with God in assurance. I've been asking you already, and I'll try to remember to ask you every week, are you 100% assured today that when you die, you'll go to heaven? Are you 100% certain that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You see, the Word of God tells us that we're eternally secure because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We talked about that for a long time, didn't we? We talked about the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus, His death on the cross, His resurrection, the gospel. He was was crucified for our sins. He died for our sins, was buried, raised, ascended, and is coming again. 
the finished work of Jesus Christ and his continuing work keep us saved. But not all of us who are Christians here have the same, the same degree of assurance of our salvation. Some of us wonder, well, am I really good enough? Well, my fearfulness, my troubles, and my difficulties, am I really saved? Well, that's what we're going to be working on over the weeks ahead, Lord willing. But today, my friends, I cannot talk to you about assurance of salvation without, uh, first of all, today in Psalm 10, then we'll be back in 1 John, listen to me, talking to you about the danger of false assurance. You see, sometimes we don't think about this enough, but there is a dangerous thing that goes on, uh, even in the church. When we talk to people, when I talk to people, sometimes their, their confidence in being saved is not based on what Jesus has done, but their idea of what they're doing to be saved. And so this idea of false assurance, as I'm going to call it today, self-assurance, is a dangerous thing. And frankly, self-assurance, my dear friends today, self-assurance is the, is the thing that keeps people in their sin. It keeps the unsaved lost in their sin. So how can we understand what it means to live in self-assurance rather than to have blessed assurance in knowing Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to look at Psalm number 10. And there are four verses that I want to make sure that all of you mark or note in your Bible because from these four verses, we're going to talk today about what lost people, what unsaved people think about in relationship to God and in relationship to their own future. That's right. Today, the Word of God is going to help us understand what the lost, what the unsaved think about in their minds related to God and the way God deals with people. And one time, I want to remind all of my believing friends today, one time you were just like this in your life. You live the same way as I'm describing today, but bless God, somewhere along the way, somebody shared the gospel with you and you were saved, you were born again, and your life's never been the, never been the same. And you have the joy of Jesus and assurance of salvation. I hope that a tear forms in your eye. I hope that a burden comes on your life. It seems the church is asleep. We've forgotten about the lostness of our world. So today I remind you, of the terrible and horror, horrible consequences of those who live with self-assurance rather than blessed assurance in knowing Jesus Christ. We read Psalm 10 now. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride the wicked, please notice the word wicked, it's going to appear several times. In pride the wicked, hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked, second time, boasts of his heart's desire. And the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked, third time, in the haughtiness of his countenance, does not seek him, seek God. All his thoughts are, here's the first place you ought to mark. Here's what lost people think. There is no God. There is no God. His ways, that is the wicked man, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his adversaries, he scorns at them. Second thing, 
that the lost think is in verse number six. He says to himself, the lost man says to himself, the unsaved woman says to herself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. This is what the lost have said generation after generation as they come into this world. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. He's, he sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the hiding places. He kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in a hiding place as a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the afflicted. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches. He bows down. And the unfortunate fall by his mighty ones. He says, third thing he says to himself. While he's carrying on this kind of behavior. While he's talking this way. While he's lurking around and sneaking to destroy other people with his mouth and with his tricks. He says to himself, God has forgotten he has hidden his face and he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Fourth thing that the lost man or woman says, why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Shake us from our sleepiness, O oh Lord, as a church. Wake us up. Wake us up to the tragedy and deceitfulness of self-assurance that leads many, many multitudes to death and hell. Open our eyes today. May we hear your word. May we respond to it and may the Holy Spirit enlarge these truths for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can't say I'm 100% certain that I'm saved, but you say, Pastor Mike, I'm saved, well, then that's where we will be walking along to talk about how you can come to have greater assurance. But, oh, I don't want to assure anybody here that you're saved if you're still lost. Sometimes the church is so quick to tell people they're saved, but we don't talk with them about the consequences of sin and what it really means to repent of your sins. And to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to confess your sin. So all of us in this room must really come to terms with this. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? Am I truly one of God's children? Is that true in my life? That's what we want you to settle. So these, these, four, these four thoughts of the lost man I'm going to use as my outline for you today. And the focal truth is this. That the unsaved live in self-assurance and they reject God. That's true of all on the planet. Look, I'm talking about some of your children and your grandchildren. I'm talking to you about your dear neighbor that you've, you've been friends with all of your life. I'm talking about those people you see in the grocery store. You're going to see later today as you drive down the road. You're going to sit by them at your meal at lunchtime. I'm talking about those that are around the world you see on the television. Oh, the faces and the masses and multitudes in every language and tongue on this, on this planet who do not know Jesus Christ. I'm reminding you today that this represents the unsaved lost 
all around the world at all ages, the youngest to the oldest, who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The unsaved live in self-assurance and they reject God and reject Jesus Christ. Why is it? Four things. Number one, the unsaved think there is no God. Number two, the unsaved think they will never have any troubles. Number three, the unsaved think God does not care how they live. And number four, the unsaved think God does not hold them accountable for their sin and for their actions. These are the words of these, these four thoughts of the lost man. The four thoughts of a lost man. Number one, verse four. The wicked, notice, the wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, all his thoughts are, there is no God. I call your attention to remind you of something here. I pointed it out as we were reading it. Notice the use of the word wicked. Now, sometimes we want to be polite. We want to be kind. But the Word of God makes it clear to us. Listen to me now carefully. The Word of God makes it clear who is a wicked person. Who is a wicked? Oh, the wicked person is Hitler. Oh, the wicked person is Stalin and the Russians who killed all of those people. Oh, the, the, the wicked are those who are child abusers. Oh, the wicked are the mass murderers. Those who shoot children in schools. The, the wicked are... Those who lie and cheat for the millions in business that don't belong to them. Oh, I remind you today, listen to the preacher, the wickedness, wickedness is that which is in the heart of every person. Wickedness is pride and pride is wickedness. The devil fell because of his arrogance and pride and every man and woman born into this world is born with a heart filled with pride. I don't need God. I don't care if there's a God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Wickedness is at the heart of all sinfulness. So we all are born into this world as wicked sinners. You see, we sometimes have our degrees on it. Well, you know, uh, these people aren't quite as bad as these. Oh, you get way down here. These are really wicked people. These are just kindly weak. These are kind sinners. All sin comes from wickedness. And wickedness is based on pride. If you sit here before me today, you sit in your arrogance and pride, not willing to listen to the word of God, not willing to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a wicked sinner, the word of God says. Now we have a description of what wicked sinners do and what they think. Until I'm truly convinced that people are lost in their sins, I'll never bother to tell them about Jesus Christ if I think they're okay. Why should it be that we have such a hard time in the church convincing people to tell other people about Jesus? I've, I've never understood this. I've been doing this a long time. If we really believe people are lost and they perish, as our Lord said, We'll do everything we can to talk to them and challenge them in their thoughts. And I promise you, your lost and wicked, sinful friends who do not know Jesus Christ, they are thinking these things today. What does he say here? Well, the wicked in all of his thoughts says, there is no God. I should give you an example of this. In fact, follow the 
pattern of verse 4 before I do that. The wicked, notice, they're haughty in their face. They're arrogant in their face. There's only looking up. There's no looking down. They're haughty in their face. Secondly, they do not seek God. They don't pray. They don't read the Bible. They don't care about worship. They don't care about God. They don't care about the people of God. They don't care about any of those things. There's no spiritual desire in their life. They care about themselves. They do not seek God. And all they think is this. There's no God. I can do whatever I want. I'm reminded of this uh, from some of our own days of this sadness of the thoughts, the wicked thoughts, the self-assuring thoughts of a wicked man or woman. The self-assurance is this. There is no God and they've made that mind, their mind up about that. So we have men like our famous atheist of the day. You know, every generation's had famous. I've lived long enough to know several generations and read several and listen to several generations of atheists. We've got the new ones. The new one is the most famous of all. He's a media star, Richard Dawkins. He wouldn't mind for me to talk about him at all. He wrote his book, The God Delusion. Bestseller. Richard Dawkins. As I speak about him today, you should be praying for him. What a glorious thing it would be if Mr. Dawkins came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, bent the knee and repented of his sins and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. But in his book, The God Delusion... He writes, a supernatural creator God almost certainly does not exist. He does leave himself a little room there, doesn't he? Almost certainly does not exist. And that belief in a personal God qualifies as a delusion. A belief in a personal God qualifies as a delusion. Which, as a persistent false belief, held in the face of strong contradictory evidence. Well, because of all that he's now discovered about evolution through his biological work. Of course, that's somehow some kind of, of, of tremendous uh, evidence, which is a lie in of itself. He, he was once on a cruise wearing a shirt, atheist for Jesus. This is all done in the light. I'm just, I'm just reporting news. I don't usually do this, but I'm doing it today. In the thought of lost people, there is this thought. There is no God. I'm speaking about the majority of people who live on the planet. They did not wake up today with any thought about God. They go to sleep tonight with no thought about God. He's wearing his atheist t-shirt while I'm sure he's drinking his alcoholic beverage on the ship. And he says, why do I wear this t-shirt? Smiling. Well, the point I want to make is that Jesus was a good man. And that a man, he was a man of his times, but he had to be religious. Because in his day, everyone was religious. But I suspect that if he had the knowledge we have today, he probably would have been an atheist. And yet would have been a good man. Self-delusion. Self-assurance. A man considering that he knows more than the Word of God. He rejects God and all of his thoughts are, there is no God, Psalm 14, 1. The fool says in his heart, the fool, the foolish sinner says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 36, 1. Listen, sin speaks to the ungodly in his heart. You know what the ungodly hear in their heart and their mind? Sin. 
Let's sin some more. Let's do some more to satisfy our flesh. Let's do some more to take advantage of other people. I'm the center of it all, and everything I do is surrounded by me. I am the center of the world. I make my own truth. I do whatever I want to do, and there is no God. Secondly, the unsaved think they will never have any troubles. Verse 6, he says to himself, I will not be moved. Why is that? Look at verse 5. Because his ways prosper at all times. Oh, I, I describe to you today one of the reasons why America is such a hard field. It's because we have so many things. We possess, we are wealthy beyond measure to the rest of the world. Why do the thousands upon thousands upon millions want to come to this place with the illusion the illusion and the delusion that somehow if they're just being America, they'll be rich. And people live thinking, well, I'm healthy. I've got money. I've got a job. I've got a house. I've got my stuff. So God must be smiling on me. I've actually had men tell me that when I'm witnessing to them. Look, preacher, I don't need Jesus. God's already been good to me. Look at all this I've got. Yes, my friend, and he can take it away in an instant. And then what will you put your confidence in? What will you put your assurance in? His ways prosper at all times. Psalm 52, 7 says, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge. Listen, in other words, listen to what the psalmist is saying. Look at the person who would not go to God and trust him as Savior. He trusts in the abundance of riches and his desire for things is strong. Psalm 49, 11, I read it to you today. Their inner thought, talking about the wicked. What do the wicked think about? Psalm 49, 11. Their inner thought is that their, their houses are forever. Their dwelling places are to all generations. They have called their lands by their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. You see, the unsaved see themselves. I will not be moved. I will not change. I have everything I need. And yet men like me stand all the time at graveyards, gravesides of men who had much and did not know God. And now it belongs to somebody else. And then after that one, to somebody else. If you're here today and you have somehow assured yourself that you're okay without God, you're in a dangerous place. Someone needs to say it to you. You're in a dangerous place. And so those who are lost without Christ, the unsaved, they think there is no God. The unsaved think that they will never have any troubles. You see, the unsaved take their security and their possessions rather than in the personal riches that come from Jesus Christ. So what did the Lord say to that dear man whom he loved? Who came to him, that young man, can you see his enthusiasm? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He had enthusiasm. What do I do, Jesus, to have eternal life? And the Lord talked to him and asked him about the commandments. I've kept them all since I was a young boy. And I read to you Mark 10, 21, looking at him, Jesus loved him and Anne said to him, one thing you lack, one thing you lack, sell all you possess, give it to the poor 
and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But the man was deeply dismayed, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Then Jesus said, I'm about to say something that we dismiss. I'm about to say something that we ignore in our possessions, in our wealthy, uh, wealthy world in the United States of America. It affects the church. It affects us all. I'm about, to re- I'm about to say what the Lord Jesus said. Hear what he said, because it's very true. Paul tried to speak the same thing as he wrote. What did the Lord say? He turned to his disciples and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to inherit the kingdom of God and enter it? It's still the same today. I have my car. I have my house. I'm sitting at home reclining. I've got my food. I've got my children. I've got all I need. I've even named this place after our family. And the the farmer said one day as the Lord described it, well, I've had a great harvest. I got to build some more barns. And the voice came from heaven, you fool. Today your soul is required of you. So while you hold on in self-assurance today, my lost friend or neighbor, while you hold on to your possessions, you've convinced yourself that just because you have a lot, God has blessed you. That's not true. Some of God's greatest people have nothing. So, the unsaved think there is no God like Mr. Dawkins, and they're proud of it. They don't care about it. They've educated themselves or, or somehow used logic to move it away. Well, if God's really, as one fellow said who left the church, was a famous music person. Well, if God really cares about people in the world and there's really a God, why would he let all these people suffer? There are answers to that. But to say, because of that, I'm going to walk away from God, what a sad thing. That's a man who's lived in delusion. He had false assurance, and now he's back to his own self-assurance. You see, the unsaved think God doesn't care how they live. Look at this. Just look at this list. Because this man in verse 6 says, I will not be moved, look what he does. Look at the way he talks, verse number 7. Look at the way this man talks. Because God doesn't really care what he says. And oh, by the way, God is not going to do anything to him. God's blessed him so he can, he can curse other people. He can curse God. He can be deceitful and lie about people and slander them. He can be oppressive with his mouth, under his tongue. That's a great way the psalmist describes it. Now it's hidden, but it's still coming out of his mouth. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. That's what he does. He talks, he talks a good game. I've said to this church many times, listen to what people are saying and you'll know what they're thinking. Listen to what people are saying and you'll know what they're thinking. You sit with your friend at work and you listen to what comes out of their mouth. Listen to what people are saying. You'll know what they're thinking. Not only does he talk in wickedness, but he sits lurking. What a word. He's lurking, looking and hiding so that he can destroy people and hurt them and harm them. His eyes are looking and watching for the weakest and the unfortunate ones like a lion waiting to catch the weak prey. And then he crouches and bows down and then jumps and destroys them. This is the description of those who believe that God does not know what they're doing. Verse 11, he says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face and he will never see it. 
This is the arrogance of self-assurance that somehow there is no God who sees what I do and, oh, by the way, who cares what I do. I can talk to people however I want. God doesn't care. I can treat people the way I want. God doesn't care. I can live the way I want with whatever lifestyle I want. God does not care. This is the sadness of unbelief. This is the sadness of deceiving our own hearts. This is the sadness of what it's like for lost people. We see it on the news. We see it on the television. We see it in the media. We listen to it everywhere. It is the description of those who live as if there is not a God. And if there is, he does not care. And because of what they have, they somehow think that they are blessed by God. God said through Jeremiah the prophet, My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face. I remind us all today that as we sit in this place, the eyes of the Lord see to your mind and your motivations and your intentions and your actions even to this moment as you sit in this room. And the unsaved think God does not hold them accountable for their sin. Well, look at the progression. There's no God, verse number 4. I will not be moved, verse number 6. God is forgotten. He's hidden his face. He never sees it. He just turns away and kind of laughs it off. Well, you know, that's just the way those human beings are. But now the worst of all, to think that there's no accountability for sin. I know that we've talked about it as a church, as we've talked about family life. I know that the parents of this church and the grandparents are working hard with your children so that they know there are, there are consequences for what you do. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that. But in the greater situation in our world, there is a, there is a, uh, a lack of information and reminder that there are consequences for what we do. There are consequences. The unsaved assure themselves that God will never judge them in their sin. I just quote for you, uh, Job 34, 21, for his eye... For his eyes are upon the ways of men, and he sees all their steps. But perhaps the best of all of those that remind us of why men don't think God's accountable is found in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. I'm going to read that to you again. Why is it that the majority of the world does not repent and come to Jesus Christ? It's because of Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Well, I got away with it. Well, I committed sin. Well, I committed adultery. Well, I lied. Well, I stole from my business. Well, I did pick whatever you want. I coveted. I stole, I lied, I slandered. Well, nothing happened to me. Why, in fact, I have more than I had yesterday in all of my wickedness. I guess I'm okay. Because the sentence is not executed quickly, the hearts of the sons of men are given to do more evil. But the Lord says, I, the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind and I give everyone according to their ways. I said it to you, dear people, a few weeks ago. These two judgments will come. 
the great white throne judgment is where the lost dead will stand. Generation after generation, the masses will stand there. The books will be opened and they'll be judged out of the books. And their name, they'll look and it's not written in the Lamb's book of life. And based on their deeds, based on their actions, which they'll stand for, they will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. This is what the Word of God says. Paul says it another way, talking about the coming of the Lord. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, 2 Thessalonians 1. When the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. That's what happens at the second coming. The church is removed. And this begins to take place. The retribution, the judgment of God on the earth and the lost who are in the world, who refuse to repent. And the more, the, the greater the wrath of God poured out, the more they curse God, they do not repent. You see, self-assurance leads to self-righteousness, and self-righteousness will lead you to the devil's hell. So what do we remember today and do? Well, the heart is deceitful. Don't trust it. Don't trust your heart. You say, oh, I've just got such warm thoughts in my well, really, you know, I don't know. If, is this one sin that bad? I mean, surely God's going to give me a break. I, can, I don't know if the Bible's so harsh about what God... And God loves us, and so since He loves us, oh, be careful of your heart. That's why we need the Word of God, my dear friends. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. So that as we open the Word of God, the Word of God speaks to us and the Holy Spirit says, Now, Mike, this is what you're doing. This is what you're thinking. This is what you must not do. You must come and follow the will and ways of God in Jesus Christ. You must do and live like Jesus, not like a wicked sinner. The heart is deceitful. Don't trust it. The heart is deceitful above all things. You know the verse, Jeremiah 17, 9. But do we believe it? The heart is wicked, more deceitful than all else, and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Only God can. Secondly, self-assurance is false assurance. Don't believe it. The heart is deceitful. Don't trust it. Self-assurance is false assurance. Don't believe it. And God's judgment on the unsaved is unseen right now. Oh, it's right here. What a great statement is made in verse 5. Your judgments are on high. Out of his sight. That's what's happening around the world. Well, where is God? You Christians, if God is so great and glorious and powerful, well, where is he? Where is he? There's no God. You've made it up. You're all living. You're delusional. You're emotionally weak. And so you have to have somebody to care about. You're, but just because you cannot see God... And his coming judgment, don't think it's not coming. Because the word of God tells us, the Lord is patient, not wishing any to perish, but for all to have eternal life. You have seen, God sees what we do, and it's written in the books. And one day, listen, one day you stand either at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer, and you give account for what you've done in order to be blessed and honored by the Lord. Or you stand as a lost person before the judgment, before the white throne judgment, and you have to answer based on what you've done. 
based on what you've done. As you've said most of your life as a lost person, I don't even believe there is a God. When one day you will stand before Him. God saves the humble who call on Him. Oh, my friends, listen. Here's the way, here's the way blessed assurance comes. When you repent of your sins, lay them down and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that you might be freed and cleansed from your sins, so that you might live in joy and victory in the peace of God, and that you might walk all the days of your life honoring and glorifying God with your life until Jesus comes again or he takes you out of this world to the praise of the glory of his grace. I remind this church today, the Lord is near at the door. Oh, some of, some of our young people are listening. They've been talking with Pastor Tim about Pastor Mike saying this all the time. The Lord is near and at the door. Thank you, students, for listening. Thank you for listening. But the Lord is near and at the door. As the Lord said, you know the signs of the times. You know the, si the signs of the seasons. You know when things are changing. When you start to see these things happen, no, it is the beginning. It is the beginning of the end. The Lord is coming. He is at the door. He's at the door. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus.